Previously on There There. You sprang toward me and grabbed me and pushed me to the edge of the building until we were both at the edge. You held me tight like you did that first time we met. My heart raced and I couldn't focus. You continued to move us closer to the edge when you did something I didn't expect. You reversed our positions that you were the one on the edge and you loosened your grip. And as you loosened your grip, I tightened mine, inadvertently latching onto a bracelet that you were wearing. It took just you leaning backward to do the rest. The bracelet broke off as you fell. I try not to look at you. I was left standing by the ledge with nothing more than the bracelet you had intentionally gifted me. Was this another loose screw I turned, hoping in the depths of my soul that it was the right screw? I heard your voice for the last time, and with all the noise, I couldn't tell whose voice it was. Yours, your other, mine. Help me. Your other never appeared on the rooftop, and I'm not sure why. Was it because she was now free of you, and she could live her life without fearing your existence? Or was it because of the commotion down below, and she knew that the police would be soon arriving? I looked for Noah in the immediacy of my surrounding, the neighboring streets to see what path he might have taken, but it was useless. And so I brought in my scan, still nothing. It was only when I panned the furthest reaches of the city, I saw the only thing that made sense. The port in the harbor. And there it was, the biggest ship there. A cargo freighter with stacks upon stacks of cargo containers. It was a modern ark, ready to take two of each. Pairs yet opposites to the next phase of society. And I could swear that I heard your voice. Getting warm. And so without my other, I was an individual, not part of any pair. And with no illusion of choice, I left the rooftop to make my way to the port. You're listening to There There, Episode 3, We Now Return to Normalcy. As I made my way down the fire escape, I was given a choice. Would I continue the same way I came up, through the fire escape, or would I use the door that led down the stairs to the elevator? I decided for the inconspicuous route of making my way through the door that led the stairs to the elevator. When I entered the elevator, I reached into my pockets. The collectibles greeted me. The red and black is a friend of Jack's screwdriver, the piece of mirror, the snail shell, and a newly collected bracelet. I took the bracelet out and looked at it. It had links that led to two intertwined hearts with an inscription. As I moved the bracelet closer to read the inscription, the door opened to two women. As they waited for me to exit, I placed the bracelet back into my pocket and exited, holding on to my new possessions. I cautiously left the building and headed to the port. To my surprise, there was no crowd, no people gathered to see Isabel's body as it landed on the sidewalk. People moved to and fro to their destinations. Where did you go? First my other, then Noah, now you. Did you all have wings to move to and fro like pedestrians in the sky? And for a moment I thought I had wings to fly, and I wanted to go back up to the building and jump, as if by force my wings would burst from my skin in self-preservation to save me from the fall. Is this the new evolution that Noah promised? In the days that have passed, I, much like you, have come to question my sanity. Was this real, or which parts were real? I moved down the street passing the coffee shop. I looked in thinking that I might see her, but instead I only saw Diana and Nadia. And so I continued walking down the street, and the sounds and smells were all around. Cars moving and honking, people stepping and talking to each other on the phone, birds squawking and dogs barking and the smells became more pronounced once the smell of the coffee shop faded. The stagnant, wet, musty smell of the street that grew each time I passed an alleyway. The warm, meaty smell of bread from the panaderia. And as I got closer to the port, the smell of thick brininess that invaded my nostrils even when I was breathing out. Too much. It was too much. 
too much sensory information so that I couldn't concentrate on my thoughts. It was a distraction, so much that it could not have been happenstance. In my haze, I decked into a shop. Haze. My state of late. No clarity of thought. No focus. Haze. I soon realized that I'd covered my ears and closed my eyes as I entered the store and stood by the entrance like this, until someone else entered and triggered a bell hanging on the door. I moved further into the store, lowering my hands and opening my eyes. What has happened to me? With my newfound respite from the city, I could think clearly about my happenings and my thoughts immediately went to you. You had to be behind all of this. Somehow you had control over me. You were leading me to the port. It was all a part of your plan. Did you drug me? How could you have drugged me? It was a preposterous idea that you could have drugged me and so I was able to dismiss it. I also didn't like the idea that you could control my mind. Mind control? Not even in the realm of existence unless I was going to subscribe to conspiracy theories and although I'm not convinced we ever landed on the moon, I'm not convinced that the government has mastered mind control. The government. Could they be behind all this? And to what end? I remember reading an article last year about the American embassy in Cuba falling victim to some type of biotechnic terrorism allegedly, or more accurately, speculatively. Reportedly, there was a sound and then people in the embassy lost consciousness and had nausea. Group reported, en masse. There was never ever a rational explanation, but it was accepted that it was an attack. It's possible that this was some sort of biotechnic terrorist event. Maybe I was the only one, but then again, clearly it wasn't because there was my other, and Isabel, and her other. Maybe we're behaving like this because of the attack. It could be possible like Cuba, but more refined. After all, if Cuba was able to do that, our scientists would have more advanced weaponry. I walked down the aisle trying to blend in, that I was shopping. I quickly realized that I was in a dollar store and I was in the kitchen section. I stared at the aluminum foil and I wondered that if I wrapped my head in foil, would I be protected from the waves? Would that work? And the voices would disappear and so would Noah and his ark. And I can go back and go back to work. And when I slept in my bed, there would be no one in the shadows, not my other, not Isabel, no one. And suddenly I was saddened. I would never hear or feel you or Isabel and I would be alone. Wasn't I alone before all this happened? And now I wasn't. For better or worse, I was married to you, Isabel, and even Noah. We were inseparable as destiny has willed it so. I continued down past the kitchen items to the next aisle, stationaries and party supplies. I looked at the greeting cards, condolences on your loss, here in our prayers. Happy belated birthday. Congratulations. Happy gratulations. It's a boy. The emotional spectrum narrowed down to the width of a greeting card display. As I moved over, there were streamers and hats and beads and cups, colored utensils and plates. I stopped at a pack of gold plates and looked at my warped image. I was unrecognizable. I had forgotten what I looked like. I knew what I had become, and maybe that is why I didn't want to remember who I was. I thought back hard and long, and my memory failed to recall an image of my innocence. I reached into my pocket and pulled out the sliver of mirror, carefully, inconspicuously, as to not draw attention, and I held it to my face as I palmed it in my hand. The sliver revealed little more than my eyes and the inflated, darkened pads beneath them. I needed rest and sleep beyond what I had been having lately. I craved to hibernate like a bear, snoring like a grizzly, and wake up not knowing what I had just been through. Sweet, amnesiac sleep. That's what I wanted. The voices could not reach me there, but I could not achieve that here. I could only sleep in my bed. Isn't that where it all started? Isn't that when my other appeared in my room? The confirmation of all that was wrong? The inevitable confirmation of you, Noah, as I have chosen to call you. Isn't that when it all started? And so I craved my bed. I craved the comfort and recognition of my sheets and my indentation in the middle of the mattress. And that is what I sought out more than anything else. 
I purchased a set of dollar earphones, the darkest shades I could find, and a tin of mints. I put the shades on and immediately plugged the headphones into my phone and popped the contents of the mint tin to disrupt my senses. And I played the only thing that made sense. Bowie. Life on Mars. And I left the store trying as hard as possible not to see any of the others, trying to ignore the voices and the smells with the music at full blast and a mouthful of mints. I plummeted my way down the street away from the port and toward my apartment. Although the cheap sunglasses were dark, I squinted because I did not want to see anything. I wanted as much sensory deprivation as I can get in a metropolitan city. And I made my way back to my apartment. Not to my hotel, mind you. I was done with that. I was done with Noah whether or not he existed. I still thought that maybe he existed in my mind and that comforted me because that meant that the world was normal and it was me that was abnormal and it would be easier to fix me than it would be to fix the world. When I reached my building, I entered and headed for the elevator. When I passed the mailboxes, I saw that my box was full as I could see the envelope sticking out, but I ignored it and continued to the elevator. I placed the key slowly into the lock and turned it, not wanting to alert anyone waiting for me on the inside. I grabbed the doorknob and entered ever so softly, and when I was in, I walked lightly around until I was convinced there was no one there but me. When I went to my bedroom, I closed the door and locked it. I grabbed the chair and slid it under the doorknob. I went over to my dresser and removed the shades. I emptied my pockets onto the dresser top. Wallet, empty tin of mints, keys, pen, screwdriver, piece of mirror, snail shell, bracelet. My ever-growing collection of remnants of people. But I didn't want to think about that anymore, so I removed my shoes and opened the covers of the bed and fell in. I grabbed the covers and pulled them tightly, creating a swaddle around my body, and before I could think of anything else, swaddled like a baby, I could hear my breathing and then my heartbeat, and I was so soothed that I fell asleep almost instantaneously. It was a deep, dark sleep that revealed nothing. It was like blackout curtains for my mind. And when I awoke, I was in such a daze that I had no idea where I was at. And for a moment, I thought I was at home with my mother. But that was years ago since I lived in that house. And I only moved back in when she became ill. I woke up once, at the end, to the smell of bacon, burning bacon, and a smoke detector ringing. I ran downstairs and the stove top was on fire. The flame was climbing the back wall of the stove from the pan with bacon grease. My mom was sitting calmly at the dining table, sipping her coffee. Mind you, she wasn't sitting at the table with her back turned to the ever-growing fire. She was facing it. When I entered the kitchen, she asked me if I'd like a cup of coffee. I declined. Had I not been there, she probably would have burned to death. I guess it didn't matter too much. She died a few months later. She might have died a less painful death in that fire. It would have been quicker than the way she went. At her worst, meds did nothing to help with the pain. But I was in my bed in my apartment. I rolled over and pulled the covers tighter and looked around the room. I had no idea what time it was, so I sat looking at the window first and at the bottom of my door to see if I could see any daylight in the room next door. I got up and opened the curtains. The sun was out. This provided no indication of time, though. I could have been asleep for an hour or a week. I was starving, though, so I assume I must have been asleep for longer than an hour. I left my bedroom and went to the kitchen. It seemed like it had been a lifetime since I had been in this kitchen. After all, I had been in the hotel for the past few days. I hadn't set foot in my apartment, much less prepared a meal. I opened the door in my refrigerator. It was almost empty, and from what was left, I wondered what was good and what might have been spoiled. I reached for the bacon and read the date, but I wasn't sure what today's date was. I placed it on the counter, and soon it was joined by two eggs and a half-used stick of butter. I grabbed two pans and got the bacon started over a medium-low heat. While the three strips cooked, I cracked the eggs in a bowl, added a splash of half and half, and began to whisk. When the forearms began to strain on one arm, I switched the whisk to the other. The bacon began to sizzle as the edges along the side began to curl. I turned the bacon over when the desired crispness was achieved. I turned the flame on low heat on the other pan and placed a knob of butter into it. 
When the butter melted, I placed the beaten eggs into the pan. While I waited for the eggs to solidify, I grabbed two pieces of bread and placed them into the toaster, preferring more of a crunch than soft. It was halfway between the four and the five, with five being the highest number. And if you thought those numbers referred to minutes, you'd be wrong. It referred to the toastiness of your final product. Shade selector dial. And as my toast was being heated to a four and a half on the toastiness scale, I went back to the eggs. They were slowly forming, and when I felt they were ready, I moved my spatula from an edge of the pan, pushing the newly formed egg to the center, and allowing uncooked liquid eggs to take its place to heat and form. I did this three times around the pan, shaking it to distribute the remaining liquid, and when it had formed but was still slightly wet, I folded it amongst itself. I placed the bacon, eggs, and buttered toast on a plate and sat down with the fork in hand. And then I went at it with the ferocity that I hadn't known before, like I was depleted of all energy and I needed to replenish before I collapsed. It was an urgency of fuel, an urgency of life, and I was done without ever realizing what I had eaten and what the eggs had tasted like. This delicate process produced exceptionally tasting eggs, but I could not recall what the eggs tasted like, nor the bacon, nor the toast and butter. I hadn't even realized that I was sipping coffee. I don't even remember making the coffee, and I felt that I was under a spell, and I felt ill, as the beads of sweat gathered on my brow. I closed my eyes, and the smell of bacon entered my nostrils like they did that time at my mother's house, and when I opened my eyes, I saw the flame on the stove rising over the edge of the pan with the bacon grease, and in time, it caught fire. The flames licked around the rim of the pan and dared to climb higher, and still I sat there watching the flames rhythmically yet erratically dance to and fro. The smell of the bacon in the fire competed with the coffee that I sipped from the cup. The coffee. The chocolatey, roasty, oaky coffee. That smell. That familiar smell. Noah. I quickly got up from the chair and pushed a pan from the flame and turned a dial. The flame slowed its dance and disappeared, and I could swear I saw Noah and the flames before they vanished. And for the fiftieth time it hit me. Was this all in my head? Was I mad? The recurring question as of late. Was I really mad? I saw no one the flames on my stove, and that was not logical. This was not normal. This was not observable by anyone but me, and therefore subject to scrutiny by people like me. And not just people like me, people with mental health credentials who could interview me and prescribe medications and schedule sessions to talk about my mom and her projection of body dysmorphia on me and my father who spent more time in prison than with me. Was this all just a culmination of that? I snapped. People snap all the time. Maybe I just snapped. Maybe my rubber band was pulled too tight. So tight with my mom and dad and my job and the ex-wife and the children I never had and my need to be right and my need to find answers to everything. It is too much to ask of any rubber band. And after 34 years of wear and tear, I should have been able to see it. I should have been able to see that I was being pulled so tight that there were tears. So innocuous until they weren't. And then two or three or four or five days ago, it was set in motion. And the snap was inevitable. And I should have seen it, but I didn't. And now that I've snapped, I'm trying to think how I didn't see that, but it was too late. And I didn't know what to do. And I knew that Noah didn't exist because he went away in the flame and he couldn't even exist in the real world. And my other didn't exist. And Isabel with a V sound didn't exist. And I wondered what would happen next. Now that I knew I was mad. Would I be mad forever? Could I get a new rubber band, order it online and have it delivered to my apartment in 48 hours and then install it and be back to normal? What is normal? Was I ever normal, and did I ever have a chance at normalcy? No way. It was never in the cards for me, and somehow I embraced that implicitly, reveling in the fact that I came from a bad home in the bad part of town. It gave me street smarts despite the fancy bullcrap education. I was who I was, and I don't know if I can ever go back to that time before all of this. I don't know if I'll ever be the same as before. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know if I want to be the same as before. I want to be something other. I want to be someone else, or something else. And I've been dealing with this conflict ever since I can remember. 
the internal struggle between good and evil. We want to be the best that we can be at times, but there are other times when we don't, when we want to take the shortcut, when we want to lie and cheat to get what we want. And we consider it and even do it when we know it is wrong, but we do it anyway because we have to, because it is the only way to survive. Does that make it wrong? Does that make it evil? Does that make us evil? Did that make Noah evil? Noah, my alter ego, the manifestation of my psyche. That was it. That was a breakdown. That was a snapping of my rubber band. He appeared at my snapping and he will disappear when I've replaced the band. But how do I replace the band? Is it replaceable? It has to be. It has to be replaceable. I need to be complete, as complete as I can be. Maybe if I can replace the band, maybe I can start looking for the other missing pieces and be whole again and be happy for once in my miserable life. The first step in the road to be made whole. I just need to take that first step. And so I got it from the table and poured some more coffee and added my cream and sugar. I took a sip. It was hot, but it didn't matter. I raised the cup to my nose and took a deep inhale. So wonderfully warm and soothing. I took another deep sip and I placed the cup down. And then I proceeded to clean the mess of the stove. This was the first step. And when I was done, I would go buy groceries because I was almost out of everything. And then I would check my calendar and see what appointments and presentations I had for the rest of the week. And then I would see what laundry needed to be done and what needed to go to the cleaners and what was already at the cleaners. I would return to normalcy and my patterns and my structures, but I would need to go beyond that. I would need to reclaim the other pieces of my life. I would need to eat right and work out and maybe do some volunteer work at the library to teach reading. And then maybe see a therapist, those issues that were deeper, that had to do with my mother and father and my place in the world. Existentialism. Existentialism. What was the point of me being here on this planet right now? Maybe medication. I needed to be open to anything to get rid of the Noah in my mind so I could resume some type of normalcy and maybe even date a woman and get serious and settle down and have children. And I completed a grocery list and saw that my next meeting wasn't until next week and wasn't due to present for the day after that. I logged onto my health account and requested an appointment for psychiatric services in two weeks. It was time, time to get back to who I was, not this nonsense, time to get back to some semblance of reality. But I was still exhausted despite the sleep and despite the two or three cups of coffee I had. And so I went back to my bedroom to get more sleep. Maybe it was a virus that was going around, the flu, and that accounted for my hallucinations and my lethargy. It could be reasoned. And when I entered my bedroom, I walked past my dresser and they were there the collectibles, the artifacts, the remnants, the trophies, whatever status they held in light of all the events that have or haven't happened. The red and black is a friend of Jack's screwdriver, the piece of mirror, the snail shell, and the bracelet. What did this mean? Was this confirmation of the events over the past few days? They were there. And even after I cleaned up Noah in the kitchen and reasoned out everything else, these artifacts were still there in front of me. What did that mean? The screwdriver was easily dismissed. I had it in the drawer of my kitchen and I took it and carried it. It made sense. It had always existed in my real world and so it had a place in the alternate reality I created. The mirror was next and it could have come from anywhere, from my apartment, from the alley, from work. It was just a sliver. It could have come from my mirror in the bathroom. The snail shall belong. I had the same one so clearly this was mine. Done. But the bracelet provided some challenges. Whose was this? Did this belong to the ex? To an ex? Did I find this in the street in the act of finders keepers? I had no idea besides that it belonged to Isabel with the V sound. But that wouldn't work. After all, she didn't exist in my road to normalcy. And how could I have in my possession an item that belonged to a person that didn't exist? For the moment, I ignored that paradox. Instead, I went to my bed and crawled in and pulled the covers over me and went into the deepest of slumbers. The slumber was devoid of dreams with one minor exception. When I awoke, I was not in my room. I looked around, but it was a different room. It was a room that I'd never seen before, and it was dark, and I was on a cot. Standard military issue. 
You know, the kind that folded and you had to be careful that you didn't pinch the skin on your hand. And it was so dark beyond the darkness that blackout curtains provided. And I had been here so long that my eyes were adjusted and I could see that there was another cot in the room and the cot held someone, someone that breathed deeply and purposefully. I closed my eyes and placed my right hand over them and pushed my hand into my eyes to apply a comforting pressure. And when I was done, I reached behind me to fill the headboard and all I could feel was corrugated metal, metal, cool to the touch. And I brought my hand back to my eyes and applied more pressure. And when I lifted my hand and opened my eyes, I was back in my bedroom. The blackout curtains were still drawn. I dismissed it. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? If I want to be well, I have to let it go. The cots, the roommate deeply sleeping beyond exhaustion, and the corrugated metal that acted as a headboard. And so I opened my eyes to my bedroom, and I looked around to make sure this was the place I was supposed to be, the place that I left before I went to sleep. And it was, and so I was here where I was supposed to be. And I got up and opened the blackout curtains that let the light in the room. The light was soft and gentle, like a slowly rising sunrise. It was still off, maybe just minutes, but the sun hadn't risen with us just yet. And so I walked out of my apartment and made my way to the roof, using the elevator, not the fire escape. Being on the fifth floor, I was already halfway there, but still the lone elevator operated stubbornly and therefore slowly. And when I arrived at the top floor, I rushed to the last flight of stairs leading to the roof of the building, and when I opened the door, there it was. The soft light giving way to the directness of the sun. I was just in time. I walked onto the rooftop of my building and made my way to the edge to see the sunrise in an optimal point of view. And the softness of the morning gave way, not necessarily to heat, but to clarity. Clarity of perspective and thought as well as vision. And I took a deep breath, intentionally, and held it in as long as possible, and expunged it slowly and with control. And as the sun rose, it revealed the city, the city that had always been there, but hidden in the night, but no more. And I looked around. It resumed the familiarity that existed before I met my other and Noah. Technically, I never met Noah. He just appeared in my mind in a flash of psychosis. I used to come up here when my mother got sick to be alone, as if my apartment didn't provide enough solitude. But the roof afforded me a different kind of solitude. There were too many distractions in my apartment. My phone, my TV, my laptop, my desktop. The technology that acted as a social partner was all around to provide escapism for my emotions and thoughts. And so the roof allowed me time with my thoughts and my feelings, parts of me that were best left undisturbed best left unengaged. And that is where I went when she became ill. Through thousands of years of evolution, we have become egocentric. Maybe it was developed through the survival of the fittest mentality. We survived their weaker brethren and sisters, so we became the most important of our species, and we internalized this knowledge. We literally became the most important, each of us, and so egocentrism was born. After all, if everyone is dying around you, and you're not, don't you feel immortal, like that can never happen to you? And if it never happened to you, then we feel more than immortal, we feel omnipotent. But it is in this omnipotence we have lost sight of reflection and emotions and growth. The roof allowed me to see beyond my immortality and egocentrism. It allowed introspection without any distractions. After the incident in the kitchen, she entered the hospital soon after. Cancer, stage four. Didn't even know it, maybe because of all of her other health issues she didn't bother. And when she entered the hospital, I went to the roof. My first thoughts were, what would I feel when she was gone? How sad would I be? And I couldn't think of anything other than anger. Anger for growing up the way I did. For not getting everything that I needed. Anger for my dad not being there. Blaming her for his absence. I could barely deal with her. How could I blame him for leaving? And now I was alone on the roof and she was in the hospital. And I was alone and I didn't know how to feel about it. I was always alone. No family, no friends, no significant other. And it was all by choice. 
It was what I wanted. It was protection. It was isolation. It was introversion. It was me. And I thought about it while on the roof. And each time I went, I sought to make it better so that the anger would subside and I could move on and reconcile something without ever having to have a conversation with my mother, without ever having to have a conversation with anyone. Even before she went into the hospital, she wasn't one for conversation and definitely wasn't one for talking about her feelings. I'm not even sure she had feelings. She was the one that gave that hug, that hug that was devoid of warmth, obligatory. It was the way my wife held me after a while, and it made sense. Don't we marry the people that most resemble our parents? In this case, didn't I marry my mother? A bad relationship with my mother, a bad relationship with my girlfriend, an eventual wife, an eventual ex-wife, bad relationships with girlfriends, unable and then unwilling to have any type of permanent connection, and then this extended not just to relationships with the opposite sex. It's a sphere that grows within and extends a family and then friends until you lose a sense of intimacy with anyone and you accept that that is okay. This is the way it has to be, so you accept it. And so you, I mean I, go to work every day and put a good, honest day's work and come and be by myself. But you must understand I'm not complaining, nor do I feel sorry for myself. It just is, and so I just am. And now this happened to me with my other and with Isabel with a V sound and Noah, and I don't even know if it's really happened. I must confess something to you now. And I do it because I need you to know to ensure true transparency. If I kept it from you, you would surely suspect it anyway. There are times, especially when I was younger in my childhood, that I thought I lived in another reality. You could dismiss it as immersive daydreaming, perhaps, but it felt like an out-of-body experience, like I could see myself in another realm, doing things that I knew I was not. But I was in both bodies simultaneously, as a viewer and a doer, and I was free to do what I would never do in my realm. I would talk to a girl from class, I would tell my mother that I needed more from her. I would fight the bully and win and be in admiration of all the school children. I would tell my wife that I was hurt that she couldn't love me the way I loved her. I would tell my girlfriend that I no longer loved her. He was stronger than I was, and he was free from the confines of what was expected of me, and so I wanted to be him, but I couldn't. Instead, I could witness his life so deeply and completely that I was confused because we became enmeshed. And when I first saw my other, I thought that maybe this was him. That mental projection became tangible somehow but I knew this other me did not exist. As much as it seemed like reality in my head, I was always able to come down, come back to reality. The blur always subsided and I can go on with life. And I knew these two workings were not related. My alternate reality was, is not related to the events over the past few days. You ask why? I would. But it's really an easy answer. I was always a spectator before. I could simultaneously acknowledge my dual roles as spectator and actor. I use the word actor not in the thespian sense, but in the sense that I was acting. I was doing, and therefore not passive. In the events over the past few days, I have not been a spectator. I don't feel safe, and I believe harm will come to me if I do not be an active participant. Can my mind be so compromised that I have blended reality and fantasy? I took the city in my eyes, taking deep breaths. I do not accept what has happened. I may not be able to explain it, but that doesn't mean that it has actually happened. And so I close my eyes tightly. This did not happen. There is no rational explanation, therefore it could not have happened. It did not happen. When I opened my eyes, the city looked different. It looked calm and serene, and so I made my way back into my apartment to get ready for another honest day's work. I heard a horn sound from the port. A ship was leaving. It was a long sound filled with bass that shook the air. When I reached the handle for the doorknob, I heard the second horn, and this time it was louder and longer. It called to me, so I let go and walked back to the place I had just stood. The cargo freighter was leaving. Noah's freighter was leaving, probably on its way down the coast to deliver some imports. And so I turned around to go back to my apartment, and that is when I heard your voice. Where are you going? I'll be back. I'll be back.
What did you think I was done with you?